We are going to continue on with our series on the goodness of God. The goodness of God. There is a, a quote that I've shared uh, off and on over the last several years with you as we've looked at the attributes of God, the, the nature of God in various times and ways. And, and the quote says, show me someone's view of God and I'll show you how they live their life. Right? Show me someone's picture of God when you say the word God. And the person who said this quote says, that is directly related to how they live their life. And that quote was said in a broad sense, but, but I think that that even applies to us as believers. As you sit here this morning, what is your picture of God? How do you, how do you see Him? And I, I shared with you before, that I, I, I asked that question in a men's group uh, four years ago, and I had the guys draw pictures of their picture of God at that time. When I said God, I said, draw me a picture, what you think. And, and what was that, Pat? Yeah, <laughs> right? Lightning bolts, angry, wrath, right? Waiting to pounce, the big principle in the sky, Right? Don't mess up or you're going to get called to the principal's office, you know. And, and, and how profound and how deeply our pictures of God impact us, even as believers, even as believers, right? And, and so we've been in this series, and if my, if my numbering is right in my notes, this is the goodness of God, ten. <laughs> ten. And... And I'm like, wow, Lord, has it really been 10 already? And it could really be 50 or 100 because uh, as I've learned in my own life, I have been challenged at a, at a very deep level with, do I really believe God is good? Do I believe His goodness, the nature, His nature, which is really under foundational and underlying all His other attributes, God's character is good, and He desires good, right? And, and, and to really allow that to resonate, to go from here to here, and then to play it out, even as we talked about in worship through the songs, right? When, when trials and, and tribulations come, how, does, how do I now respond in light of God's goodness? When there's a need in my life, how do I respond in God's goodness, right? And so, uh, you know... Bill and Tyler are really good at trying to at slowing me down because I want to go into the fast lane. And they're like, no, let's stay in the right lane. And let's just take it one step at a time. Because often, God's sanctification process just takes time. And sometimes it's even more challenging for what I call the churched. Because the church brings in a lot of baggage. Not necessarily all bad, but just a lot of Churchdom, a lot of experiences, a lot of I heard, I always thought. And then when you go to Scripture and you're challenged at the core levels with what you always thought, sometimes it just takes a while because you find yourself struggling with a bit of discomfort. And here's the thing. God's goodness can be uncomfortable. Well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is, I'm so used to reacting a certain way 
when there's negative in my life, negative trial, negative circumstance, negative whatever. So in my flesh, I'm used to responding a certain way. I'm not saying it's right. That's just comfortable for me. Over time, that habit of my natural response is comfortable. When I bring in God's goodness to real life, and I have to stop because the Holy Spirit says, now stop. Remember, God works all things for the good. That's uncomfortable. That takes choices. That takes effort. That takes diligence. It takes putting off and putting on. It takes walking in newness of life when everything in me just wants to do what I've always done. When everything in me is just more comfortable being me because, you know what, we're used to excusing it. It's just the way I've always been. It's, it's just me. It's just, it's just the cross I have to bear. It's just, right? How many of us, it's just, right? And so the challenging discomfort is when God's truth, even a great truth, His goodness comes in and He confronts us and says, no, you can no, you can no longer say it's just. Mm. Mm. And, and, and you're confronted in that very real moment of life. And you're like, okay, stop, stop, stop. God works all things for the good. Okay, Lord, I'm uncomfortable right now because I want to. I, I want to. I want to take control of this. I want to fix this. I want to lash out. I want to teach them a lesson. No, no, take your hands off. All things work for the good. Seek me first. Rest in my goodness. Seek me and how you should handle this. That's all well and good. That sounds great in theory, but man, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Right? For many of us, the most uncomfortable thing is to take your hands off of your life and to rest in God's goodness. How many of you, amen God's goodness? Amen God's goodness. How many of you are willing to take your hands completely off your life and amen God's goodness? I'll help you, and I'll help you, and I'll help you. Me? I'm going to keep one hand just in case he needs me. Right? So even, even a wonderful truth of God's goodness. Whoo! And that's why we just take our time. And that's why we come alongside each other and share our lives in Delta groups or in women's Bible study. Because it's okay. It's okay. We're all in the process together. We're, God works uniquely and on His timeline, but He also puts us into the body of Christ. So you realize you're not alone. Right? So let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your goodness and even for the discomfort of your goodness as you desire our good. You desire us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And Lord, quite honestly, that's not always comfortable. Even for those of us who have been in church for decades, we have kind of got comfortable at times or in certain areas. And so, Lord, now, through your word this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you speak truth once again? We rest in your truth. We rest in your goodness. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open and receptive to your truth this morning. And then, Father, help us to bring practical application, even if it's uncomfortable, and because that reminds us that of ourselves we can do nothing. We are absolutely 100% reliant on the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in newness of life. 
So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. And now we yield to your will. And all God's people said, Amen. So last week we asked the question, or we looked at God's goodness in light of what we think is good. Because they're not always the same. They're not always the same. Look at Proverbs 14.12. This is just going to be a quick review because it's going to move us forward. Proverbs 14.12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Right? And, and we looked at that last week. And we looked at Genesis 3, right? The fall. When God, in, in, in His goodness, had set up Adam and Eve in the goodest environment and prov- had provided all their good, everything right. And He said, hey, in my goodness, I put you in the goodest place and now I'm going to ask you for your good just not to do one thing. For your good, Right? And we all know the story of the fall. And last week we saw that really it's a, one of the core principles why Eve fell in the perfect environment, having heard God's perfect goodwill for them, was that at some point in Eve, she thought she knew gooder than God. She thought she knew gooder. And how many of us in our lives think we know gooder? Right? I think, I mean, it's amazing, right? They were put in the best environment. God had provided. You can eat of everything, just not one. Everything was provided in the perfect environment. God's goodwill was being thrown at them. But somewhere along the line, she saw the fruit. No, no, thanks God, but I know what's good for me. That's what's good for me. And so we asked ourselves, am I yielded? to God's goodness, even if His goodness isn't what I think is good for me. Ooh, you want to talk about discomfort? You want to talk about being challenged? We talk about here being put out of the comfort zone, right? Oh, you know, the mission. A lot of times people say, oh, I don't want to give life my life completely to God because He might send me to the Congo. See, they get it backwards. They think that you give your life to God and He's going to put you somewhere that you hate. That you're going to go kicking and screaming. You see? It's, it, 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 it's an accusation of His goodness. No, if, he's going to, if you're going to give your life to God and He's going to send you to the Congo, He's going to work in your life to where you have peace and joy and enthusiasm about going there. I didn't see you up here kicking and screaming and crying because you want to stay on, in the States and watch NFL football. I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm going to the Congo. I knew it. I knew He would do this to me. But we look at that. See, that's, that's an accusation of God's goodness. We think we give our life to Jesus. He's going to send us and, and just make our life miserable. And so we know gooder. See, it goes all the way back to if we doubt God's goodness, it it has trickled down into the very core of how we live our lives. So this morning, who knows best for you? Who really knows? Remember that, you you know, we're going to date ourselves here. Father knows best. Does he? 
Does he? And if you say yes, will you submit to his best, his good? Right? And we ask, well, if, if God is good and he desires good, then he's revealed his will in the good book. So why don't we just embrace this and go, yes, I'm going to eat this up and I'm just going to do it. And, and, and it's all for my good. And, and this is just my life. Anyone? Why don't we do that then? If we, if we profess to believe in God's goodness, if we trust that his good will is best and we trust that he's revealed his good will in the good book, why aren't we just like eating this up and just like living it and just like, oh man, I'm all in and he says to do this with my money, I'm doing it with my money. He says to, do, he says to forgive as the Lord forgave, I'm forgiven. He says to change my thoughts, I'm changing my... Why don't, why don't we just jump right in? What is that struggle? What is that struggle? And, and we know that there's still that flesh in us. We still know that there's that nature that keeps us dependent on the Holy Spirit. But this morning and into next week, I believe that God is really going to help us understand, maybe for many of us in the church, why we have a, a, a struggle with God's goodness. Why we struggle with surrender. Why we struggle with obedience why it sounds really good on paper but when it comes down to it i'm i'm torn right why do we have that and i believe we're going we're going to see that because it really boils down to to what we call you know it's one of those words and, and i want you to hang with me because i'm going to say a word and it's going to create a lot of pictures and emotion across the room here's the word repent I heard a gasp. (laughs) Repent. And we're going to look today and into the next few weeks at repentance in relation to God's goodness. What? See, many of you, when I say repent, you went right to angry, wrath, hell. I don't know how many of you put repent or repentance and God's goodness like that. Repent has this sort of image, right? And, and, and you know, you see it. Unfortunately, you see it on TV, right? The, the placards and the signs and the repent sinners, repent. And, and, and these people telling everyone to repent are angry. They're angry and they're, they're, they're just not very nice. And then to say, no, let's look at what the Bible teaches about repentance and God's goodness. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I always thought that you repent so you don't go to hell. Anyone? I thought repentance was a one-time thing you did so that you get your ticket to heaven. Anyone? Right? We tend to equate this word repent or repentance in a sort of a fearful, scary, holiness, angry God context. How many of us have ever looked at what the Bible says about repentance in the context of God's goodness? God's goodness. Right? In fact, let's turn to Romans 2.4. We're going to come back to this, but let's just go there just so you understand 
what I'm saying scripturally, Romans 2, 4. In Romans 2, the Apostle Paul is talking uh, to primarily the Jewish audience, those who attend the synagogue, those who are good moral people, nice people. See, in Romans 1, he had talked about the sin of the pagan Gentiles. And, and he had given the big laundry list, right, that many of us are familiar with, right, in um, Romans 1.28. Furthermore, since they did not think worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, that they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. He's talking about the Gentile, pagan Gentile Roman culture, and he's just saying they're guilty. And here's, here's what their lives reflect. Then he switches in Romans 2. And he switches over to the Jewish readers. Those who tend to say, hey, we're not as bad. Those who would look at that list and go, amen, Paul, bring it. That is it. How? Look at that. Yes, 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 bring it. And then he says in Romans 2, hey, and by the way, you good moral people, you're guilty too. Don't be so quick to point fingers at, at all of them out there. He says, you nice moral people who go to the synagogue regularly and know God's law, you, you're guilty too. And then, and then look what he says. In, let's go down. Romans. Let's just read Romans 2. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, right? All those people finger pointing. Yeah, 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 they're evil. Yeah, they're wicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? If you have a New King James, it probably says goodness. You could write the word goodness there. Those two are synonymous. Do you show contempt for the riches of his goodness? tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness, goodness, leads you to repentance. What? I thought it was God's wrath and the fear of hell that was supposed to lead me to repentance. I thought it was turn or burn that was supposed to make me come to Jesus. And now Romans 2, 4 says, not realizing that God's kindness, God's goodness, leads you to repentance? Kind of reframes everything doesn't it? Kind of even challenges us in what the message of the good news is supposed to be in this valley. Are we supposed to be going out there professing the good news of Jesus with an angry, wrathful, turner-burn message? Or are we supposed to be going out to this valley with the good news of the gospel saying, hey, it's God's goodness. That is designed to lead you to repentance. It's God's goodness. And here's the thing. 
It's not even for the unbelievers. Just for the unbelievers. Because He calls even the church to repent. See, many of us thought that to repent was a one-time deal that you did when you put your faith in Jesus. Right? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm guessing some in here believe that when you heard the word repent, you think of the sinner's prayer, and you said, yeah, I repented when I was 13, and now I'm just walking with Jesus, and he knows I'm not perfect, and I struggle with sin, but repent, I did that before. Repentance is for the church as well. Turn to Revelation 2. Turn to Revelation 2 and let's look at this. He's speaking to the church in Ephesus. A very good church, I would say. The church in Ephesus is one that outwardly many of you would attend. I would probably go there. Just based on having visited a few times and seeing all that they were doing. Very important. Seeing all that the church in Ephesus was doing... We would probably say, this is a solid church. This is a solid church. Based on what I see them doing. We would go, let's look at this. Revelation 2, 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered, have endured hardship for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. That sounds like a solid church, right? Hardworking, lots of programs, go to the gardens, go to continuing care, right? Lots happening. Have children's ministry, right? Not even what they're doing, but doctrinally. There's been false teachers, and they said, boop, nope, sorry, not doctrinally sound. You're out of here. So doctrinally and Indeed, this church looks good to go. Right? But look what he says. Verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. He's about to bring correction for our good. Hebrews says God disciplines us for our good. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Who is supposed to repent? The church. The church. So right off the bat, just, just you know, we're going to layer this. It's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. Repentance isn't just for the lost, unsaved heathen. Repentance is for who? Us. Because God, he looked right past all that OVCF was doing, their worship team and the, all the people who serve and all of you come Wednesday nights. He said, hey, great, great. Bill, teaching, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? Doctrinally sound teaching. He says, great. Hey, OVCF, there's a problem. And OVCF, you need to Repent. Repent. Because he's looking at the heart. And there's a heart issue for this church. They've left their first love. That covenant love that we've talked about in the past. And he calls the church to repent. 
Now, for us churchgoers, whoo, how would you respond? Honey, what time does that other church meet down the road? Huh? Right? What do we do? Instead of, instead of receiving God's correction about what His good is, which includes repentance, many in the church today will just pick up and go find another church where they don't preach that repentance stuff because that's uncomfortable. So, honey, what time's that church? What time's that other church start? Because this is like heavy. It's not heavy. It's just God's goodness. Hebrew says He disciplines us for our good. So if He says, hey, church... You've left your first love, and here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You know what we could do? Repent. Because it's what He wants. Amen? Right? In our life, let me ask you, are you open to receiving God's correction for your good? Even if you think you're doing all the right stuff, you're serving, you're giving, you're missionarying, if that's a verb, right? I don't know. Are you able to say, hey, um, hey, good job on that Wednesday night thing, Bill. And you're drumming. You're here a lot. And you're retired. But Bill, I got something I can't let you know. In all your good stuff at OVCF, you left your first love, bud. Repent. Well, maybe that other church needs a drummer. Because that, that pastor over there, he called me on it. He, that pastor over there was concerned about me and said that I might be too busy with ministry and doing that I've left my passion for Jesus. How dare he? Even in all of our goodness, are we open to God's correction that we might be down the wrong path? We might be. There are pastors today who shouldn't be up there because their motives are wrong. They're more concerned about success and the outward trappings of their church than loving Jesus. There are missionaries who should not be on the mission field because it's more about them than Jesus. Are we open to receiving God's correction for our good? Are we open as believers to repenting? It's a heavy word, isn't it? a churchy word. It's it's repent. I thought they used that in the 1800s. Is that still still a word we use in 2015? Repent? Because a lot of us don't even know what repent means. And so we, we have to understand what is repent? How many of you would receive God's correction to repent if you just knew what it was? Good God. Put your hand up, right? You're open to God's correction. You said yes, but you leave here going, Honey, let's get a cupcake because I have no clue what repent even means. I do it. <laughs> but what, what's the point, right? What, what is, we leave here and we amen, let's repent. See, we have to understand biblical repentance if we're going to biblically repent, right? See, because here's repentance. To biblically repent, literally it means a change of mind. It's not just intellectual. Take this. Understand this. Literally, the word repent means a change of mind 
which, which means your whole, your whole being. You make a change. He, he mentioned the change happening in the Congo. Just, I picked up on that, right? People have, made, have changed their mind and now changed their behavior. Their behavior in the tribal warfare is simply a reflection of a changed mind. To repent is to change your mind, which affects your emotions, which affects your will, which actually plays out in your life. John says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. To repent is an inward change that manifests itself. Here is what repentance is not. Repentance is not remorse. Repentance is not regret. Repentance is not making more resolutions. Repentance is not restitution. Repentance is not feeling sorry that you got caught. Repentance is not feeling sorry for the bad consequences that happened as a result of your choice. See, many of us, not knowing that, equate your bad feelings about your bad choices as repentance. And so you just live this up and down life and you live in remorse and you live in regret and you try to pay back God by serving. But here's the thing. We can have a lot of remorse, guys. We can even have a lot of regret and still keep our sin. When we repent, it's a movement away from that sin. We don't carry it with us. You don't have to raise your hand at this. I'm going to put my hand up first. As a believer, there have been times when I have made poor choices and in the middle of doing the poor choice, the sin, I have told myself, you shouldn't be doing this. I felt a lot of remorse. I even felt regret while I was doing it. But I didn't repent. See, a lot of us in Christendom, in the church, we have remorse, we have regret. I'm not saying that we don't feel bad about consequences or hurting people. But then we just carry it with us until the next time. Repentance to repent, okay, here's the thing. It's not first and foremost about turning from sin. Many of us, because of the placards and the sign, repent you sinners, turn away from sin, right? Repentance is not first and foremost about turning away from sin. Biblical repentance is first and foremost changing and turning to God. When I married my wife, I entered into a covenant of love. In many ways, I do go through the ceremony. I turn to her, and I love her. And in turning to her, you turn away from every other, all the other ladies. You get what I'm saying? You turn to the person of my wife, and in turning and in, in investing in the covenant of love with my wife, a lot of stuff gets taken care of. I didn't get married and say, okay, I love you, but I'm going to focus on all that I'm not supposed to do. 
Because when you focus on all that you're not supposed to be doing, what are you focusing on? All that you're not supposed to be doing. You see the difference? So a lot of us, because we think repentance is turning away from sin, our Christianity is about not sinning. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity and repentance is not not sinning. Christianity is about loving God. And if we will repent, meaning, Lord, I changed my mind. I was in control. I see now sin for what it is. I am changing and turning to you and embracing you in repentance, in turning your life will be free in so many ways. You can put the scorecard away. You can put the scales away. How good was I? How bad was I? Repentance, right, is God's goodness in desiring you to just turn to Him and love Him. That's, that's the context of God's goodness. When He says, don't you know that God's goodness leads you to repentance? You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, and we're going to look at this more next week. Wouldn't it be crazy if God had designed it in such a way that you sin and you're done? One sin, you're out of here. Right? Wouldn't that put the fear of God in people? <laughs> right? But then there would be nobody left. because, right? But, but think about that. One and done. Boop, sin. Choo. What happened to Scott? Ah. Boop. <laughs> you know what I mean? What he's saying in Romans 2, 1 through 4 is like, hey, don't despise God's goodness. He's just being real patient. He's just being real patient. Don't despise it. Don't look down on that. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Let God's goodness Turn you to Him in recognition of His grace and His mercy. Amen? You see the difference? And so we're going to look at this. What does it mean to repent? What is, what is all of that? And I want you to just get this. God's goodness is designed ultimately to turn you to Him. Not saying easy. God's goodness. Repentance is not to turn away from a whole list of laundry list of what not to do, what not to do. What, oh, bad, 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 bad. No. God says, repent. What did he tell the church in Ephesus? Come back to your first love. Turn. Change your mind about what you've been doing in church. Change your mind and come back to me. Come back to Him. Start there again, guys. Start there. If, you're, if you've been struggling with an issue in your life, repent. Turn to Him. Don't focus on why you're such a bad Christian for that issue. <laughs> Turn to Him. Amen? You see the difference? Fall in love with Him. Love Him. That's repent. Turn to Him. And see what he does with that issue. Because then he'll change the desires of your heart. Then he'll change the desires. Robert, you can come up and we'll turn to Luke 15. And 
And we'll close with this. Luke 15, really quick. I love this verse. It says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing. Oh, I'm sorry, 15.10. Luke 15.10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is rejoicing over one person, even churched, who this morning says, Lord, I get it. It's to turn to You. It's just to turn to You. I choose to turn to You. And Luke 15 says, heaven goes crazy. Because somebody turns to God. Much of the preaching of Peter and Acts was getting people to change their mind about who Jesus was. If you read Acts, Peter was calling people to change their mind about Jesus being Messiah. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. When he was saying repent, he was saying come to Jesus. Recognize who he is. Change your mind about who Jesus is. And this morning, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you've not made that decision to change your, your mind to Him as Lord and Savior and Messiah, choose that. That's who He is. And if you are a believer and you've been caught up in a laundry list of what not to do, turn and come back to your first love. Make it personal. See, here's the thing. Repentance is personal. It's personal. It's not a contract. Repentance is personal. Come back to your first love. Lord, we thank You that Your goodness leads us to repentance. Your goodness leads us to repentance. Even those of us who are your children. And we've learned that repentance is a turning. It's a change of mind which, impact, which impacts our whole life. But it's a turning. It's a change of mind and coming to you. And so we recognize that that is a choice we can make this morning. And so as we prepare for communion... May this be a wonderful opportunity for us to make application and to repent if necessary. To choose to turn and see you for who you are. So we love you and thank you for your work. We thank you that in your goodness you lead us to repentance. It's not just a one-time event. It is a life, a continual life of submission and repentance. A continual relationship and covenant with you.
loving you with our whole being. So we take this communion now in remembrance of you, Jesus, but also as an opportunity to reaffirm that we have turned to Christ. To reaffirm our first love. So thank you, Lord, for loving us first. In your name we pray. Amen.